Kia ora, ko Debbie Tokoingoa. I'm Debbie Clark. Kia ora, ko Josie Tokoingoa. I'm Josie Major. Welcome back to the Good Awaits podcast. Today we're bringing you a conversation that we have had with Michael Nees, who is from Virtual Journeys New Zealand. Michael grew up in Germany and now lives in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and has always been interested in innovation. He's worked as a tour guide for nine years in both New Zealand and Nepal, and through this has developed an understanding of the power and learning travel experiences can provide, as well as some of the negative impacts that it can have. Through COVID, uh, Michael felt a real call to action to do things differently and is determined not to go back to business as usual. Michael has been exploring virtual journeys uh, with some local partners in New Zealand. So he describes his virtual journeys as so much more than just a video, but a real experience for the senses and the closest thing to really being there. So some of the experiences you can have with Michael online are a flight through Fiordland, a kayaking experience in Abel Tasman, a wine tour of Nelson, among so many more that you can find on his website, virtualjourneys.co.nz. The reason we wanted to talk with Michael is because we recognized early on um, when our borders were closed through COVID that, that like us, Michael understood that with the climate crisis, there was no going back to business the way it was. Pre-COVID, Michael's business was as an inbound tour operator, which he's still running, but he recognized the need to think differently about how we need to move forward, to be more creative, to not go back to business as usual, and to collaborate and explore new possibilities. Yeah, in this conversation with Michael, we're we're really diving into what is the potential that exists in the technological advancements that we're seeing and in the intersection between technology and tourism. So it's something that we haven't really explored on this podcast thus far, but it's really important part of this conversation and particularly as we start to think more long-term. Um, Michael says it at one point in this in this conversation about, you know, we're not thinking about five years in the future, we're thinking about 50 years. And that's certainly a part of this mindset shift towards a regenerative way of working. So this episode is not going to present an in-depth exploration of the various types of technology, you know, virtual reality augmented extended reality uh, we're certainly not experts on it although Michael is fast becoming one and he does speak to this somewhat um, you'll get to hear it a little bit but really this is about a mindset shift of a tour operator who is beginning to think very very differently and innovatively about what tourism's purpose can and might be in the now and into the future so we started off by asking Michael to talk about the shift that he's made through through COVID and and why he's decided to completely transform the way he's doing business. Michael, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So we wanted to start by sort of talking to you about this um, shift that you've made in your own work in terms of shifting from from your work as a tour operator and into this sort of VR space. Um, can you talk to us a bit about that shift, what you've what you've done, and why? So my background is tourism. Um, 
And tourism is all about storytelling, in my opinion. And that what actually what people are captivated on. It's um, hearing um, about the different people, the cultures, um, and other memorable experiences. So over the past two years, um, obviously COVID disrupted the tourism business. And um, I just thought, what else can we do to tell our story? And there are already lots of videos, lots of programs. Um, but I came across virtual reality in a number of publications. And um, yeah, the more I, I researched it, the more I started talking to people, the more it made sense to me to tell the uh, tourism story in a, in a new 21st century context. Um, so that's pretty much how it started. It started with a mm-hmm. with a phone call uh, to uh, Mark Billinghurst in Auckland, and uh, yeah, it's some um, constantly learning, and I love learning new things and just visualize um, the future for tourism in a in a more immersive virtual way. So, what are some of the new developments in technology that we should be aware of? So. Technology and tourism over the last 50 years, I, I tend to go back into the past, but um, there have been a lot of technologies uh, like, you know, from brochures, slideshows, internet, mobility uh, developed over the last 50 years. In the next 50 years into the 21st century, there will be um, much more um, immersive, virtual and um, inclusive technologies. and. There's a couple of um, of um, developments happening. I mean, obviously, everybody knows about the metaverse, but one thing which goes even further than that, it's called empathic computing. So it's actually not only that you have the um, immersive world, that you go to a place like with virtual reality or that you overlay something like with augmented reality, but also... Sensors are used to monitor your heart rate, your 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 emotional um, uh, state, and and also with a capturing the 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 world around you. So we're going into a pretty amazing um, um, developments, which are obviously you know developed as we speak, but the the space of um, that virtual augmented reality has come a long way in 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 the last in the last twenty years and will go much further in the next twenty twenty years. Why is now the right moment, I guess, for VR and tourism or for virtual tourism or any of these other tech uh, new technologies that are coming through? Why why now? So Virtual reality especially has been around for a long time. We were talking about 20, 30 years, even further than that. So the key obstacles um, in the past were obviously uh, the technology, uh, the hardware, software, the internet speed, the content. But especially since 2016, uh, there's been a lot of development um, with larger companies like um, um, Facebook, um, Facebook in 2014 bought Oculus. Um, so they have spent billions of dollars into that technology. Also, what's happened is 
through the the COVID crisis. Um, in my opinion, that has been quite a game changer in respect how people um, see technology. I mean, we all know the the usage of Zoom and 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 mm. those uh, uh, video calls have dramatically increased. So it's it's a it's a unique combination, I think, um, which which brings those kind of new technologies to the forefront. Um, and, you know, I mean, like one another one really is that the hardware, especially with the Oculus uh, Quest 2, has become much more affordable. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, we talked about thousands of dollars for, uh, for purchasing um, a headset. Now we're talking about... New Zealand's about $570 and the US is about under 300 US dollars. So these are all factors I believe we shall um, look into um, virtual augmented reality much more for the tourism industry. Yeah, that's a lot of changes, right, through COVID. So that's interesting to hear that it's been it's accelerated in the technology realm too, which is no real surprise. So for people who don't know what VR is, Michael, can you give us an overview? Um, describe what it is and what makes it so powerful. Yeah, sure. So virtual reality is basically you are placed in a different environment. So you go to another space. You put the headset on. And if it's well done, if production is well done, then um, you really feel you there. Uh, augmented reality is slightly different, but uh, with augmented reality, there's a digital overlay on the real environment. So you actually have a hologram in front of you, which you can move around. So the reason those um, technologies are so powerful and, um, and lasting is um, the brain. Because um, the brain knows that you're not, you know, you put the headset on and you go paddling in Antarctica. The, ne- the brain knows that you're not there, but that's the neocortex, the, the front part of the, the rational part of the brain does know, does know that you're there. But the old part of the, of the brain, the amygdala, the lizard brain, actually still acts that you you know, you're there, you know, it, it just can't, hmm. can't cope with that. Hey, where am I? You know, and, and that's actually uh, the key reason it, if it's well done, uh, if the production is well done, you feel really immersed in that environment. And, um, and you actually, and there's lots of research done. So, and, and you feel, you know, you start sweating, you know, you, you're getting, <laughs> you're getting anxious, you're getting anxious. Um, I mean, I watched a, um, a climbing uh, with Alex uh, uh, Hamill the other day. I mean, he's free climbing that rock face. And I actually got, wow. I'm not good with heights, you know. So I looked, <laughs> I looked around and, and it was so, it was, I had to stop it, to be honest. So it just shows wow. you it is really powerful. And um, yeah, it has to be used for the good, obviously. So that, that that's an important part. Wow. If I'm understanding you correctly, so when you put the headsets on, I've never done it. So when you put the headsets on and you're in there, your brain can't, even though on some level you know it's not real, your brain actually believes it's real. So at some point in the experience, you completely believe you're there and you're in it and you feel it. Yes, that's correct. And, I mean, there's some there's some amazing research going on on that. Like there's a professor at Stanford, uh, Jeremy Balenson, 
and and they do they have that that walk over a plank. So the first, you know, they have thousands of people coming into their lab, and what they do, they actually put the headset on, um, and then visually, virtually, that person walks over that plank between, I think, skyscraper or, or gorge or whatever. But uh-huh. they're really, and then it starts shaking, and then <laughs> really people freaking out. So it's wow. It's, oh, wow. it's it's people know they they can't really hurt themselves, and obviously they make sure uh, that doesn't happen. But it's it's so powerful to the brain that all these emotions um, um, uh, come out mm-hmm. and and with sweat and with you know, and uh, so <laughs> they have. So so much research done on this subject. You need to do it, Debbie, one day. <laughs> I've, I've been uh, I've been lucky enough to to have a go on on one at an event where I was on a the VR was like sort of on a boat, and so you're on the open ocean and big waves coming at you and things like that. And I can vouch for the fact that my heart rate was very high by the end of it. And even when you oh, take well. it off and you mm. sort of try and you try and step you know, you sort of try and walk away and you feel a little bit almost like you're seasick from, you know, like sea legs kind of thing. Um, but it's, it's just, it's just mind blowing what, what the sort of potential that it has and, and the types of experiences that you can create. So maybe because we haven't, I haven't experienced it. If you haven't experienced it, you can't begin to imagine the potential, right? Or the possibilities. Well, and look, you know, we're just at the beginning with this all. I mean, it is um, it is a very, even if it's, you know, they've researched for 20, 30 years, it's it's very new still. And they, I just attended a conference online the other week, uh, which was held in Christchurch, and there were scientists on, you know, from around the world, and it was just mind-blowing. I mean, I'm not a scientist myself, but I'm really interested in that. And what I'm hearing is... Um, you know, in the future, that empathic computing means basically they will use sensors where they're monitoring, monitoring your emotional um, state. But also in the, in the future, what is happening already is that um, there's some clothing or some gloves where you can actually mm. touch something like you touch a tree with, with moss, you know. And when wow. we do that in real, we obviously feel the soft moss and and this will be the future. I mean, we're not talking about five years or even 10 years. We're talking about 20 years. But, hey, 20 years in technology, a lot can be achieved. And yeah. that's what these guys are working towards. And I think, you know, in tourism, we need to be aware of that. And we uh, need to embrace those opportunities. Mm. Well, that's that's perfect, actually, Michael, because that's really what we want to talk about as well is, like, what is the role of this in in tourism? And in particular, you know, Debbie and I are sort of shaping this this season of our podcast around this question of what what tourism's purpose is and what it means in this VUCA world, right? In this volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world. And and I know you're you're hyper aware of of uh, this this changing world that we live in and the climate crisis, etc. So, what do you see as the role of this? these virtual experiences uh, in VUCA tourism? Yeah, I mean, one thing is for sure um, that COVID has changed tourism. Some obviously think, you know, it will be back. But uh, in any case, I think tourism needs to embrace technology because 
when we sit down about two years ago and actually brainstorming the business case for all of this, um, we came across some key obstacles for people into the future. Some people might not be able to travel in the future for health reasons. Um, mm -hmm. I'm in the tourism trade. I talked to a lady the other day in the US. She said, no, I don't really, I don't want to travel this year, maybe next year. So then there are other economical reasons. Um, uh, in, in, in Europe, where I come from, in Germany, I mean, I've talked to Germans and there's a, there's a large percentage of Germans, uh, even Germans, you know, where we all think they're, they're wealthy, um, which are able just getting by with their daily, um, daily living costs. But mm -hmm. also the, the environmental impact um, is obviously huge, you know, uh, when people fly long haul to New Zealand, and especially for a long haul destination. I think virtual um, reality, um, or I should say extended reality, really, um, could be an additional way to... To, to, to tell the story, you know, to, to showcase New Zealand without actually having to travel for 24 hours from Europe to New Zealand for burning, you know, I mean, every air, the aircraft are burning 600 liters of fuel every 100 kilometers they're flying in like the 787. Wow. So I'm not saying, look, you know, this is not either or, but it's an additional mm. way to showcase the country and make it accessible for those folks which are unable or unwilling to come to New Zealand. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's, it's to me, it's a no-brainer to, to, to work together with scientists, uh, work together with, with storytellers. And we have all that talent here in the country, you know. I've done a, I've done a, a, a canyoning trip the other day here in the Abel Testament. Look, you know, these guys are world-class, obviously. You know, they are world-class in telling their story um, about nature, about the history, about the culture. And I think, you know, virtual reality is perfect for doing that. So you think it can give that same sense of connection, Michael, in terms of storytelling with a local guide in place? Look, it, it will not be, at this stage, it will not be like you physically there, but it, it will become over time very close. And I define it as virtual tourism, you know. I mean, virtual tourism is not only virtual reality or augmented reality, but it's also about online experiences. And, you know, we have samples here in New Zealand where success stories like Arthur Chin with his Airbnb, mm. like, um, Harold mm. Bettine, uh, with his, um, with his group of real tour operators, like in Wanaka, um, there's a Mac from Richline, you know, they have been doing online experiences. So they actually transform, mm -hmm. you know, bring people into their space. Imagine this, imagine this, that a guide can go out into his field, is able to capture the surrounding. The other person on the other side of the world is actually putting the headset on, feeling being there with a guide, looks around, um, eventually be able to, to even smell and to touch. And the guide, the guide at location, because of his uh, headset as well, is actually able to see the traveler as an avatar. So that's the way those scientists think and i know it's a little bit out there it's 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 it sounds a bit spooky but 
I think, you know, we really need to think not only for five years, we need to think for 50 years. And I'll tell you what, um, if we're still around in 50 years, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it will be, you know, who would have thought, you know, in 50 years what's happening now, you know, that we fly around from Europe to New Zealand. So I think we need to open our minds. We, we're living in the 21st century, mm, not yeah. in the 20th century anymore, 21st century, and uh, um, we need to embrace it. I'm curious because I love, I love the way you, you're genuinely challenging the way that we do tourism, and, and that's so important, such an important conversation to be having. I'm curious about what kind of reaction you get from people when you talk about this stuff, and, and is, it, is it sort of... Do people feel threatened by it or or excited or inspired? What's what's the sort of feeling do you get? Well, there's obviously, you know, there, there's a minority which which can see um the future, what is the possibilities in the future. And I'm very fortunate to have been worked together with local operators here in the Tasman, especially down in Fjordland as well. Um it's perfectly normal because this is um, a big change something totally new, something misunderstood. But what we need to, we need to communicate about that. We need to talk about it. Mm. And, um, and that's what I'm trying to achieve. It's, it's, it's tiring. <laughs> yes, it is. But uh, look, you know, it's, um, I think it's for the sake of the next generations, uh, for the sake of tourism, mm. somebody or there, you know, we need the challenges. We need to challenge. And, and people like, you know, uh, Harold and 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 Arthur, you know, they already have been so successful in bringing those kinds of new ways of telling the story. It's all about storytelling. If we tell it to some somebody right in front of us or somebody through a headset, at the end of the day, um, it's it will sink in. It's it's not a process which will come overnight. Um, uh, people are still in the tourism industry, still in shock, really, and we're just getting out of this, but. I I think you know there is no um, no alternative than actually embracing technology because we don't know what the future will hold, and for a number of reasons, um, you know, I mean, especially for business owners, for for business reasons, you know, you need to have an alternative um, arrow um, to be able to navigate these uncertain times. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about that before, haven't we? The need to be adaptive and resilient. Mm. So can you give us some examples, Michael, of VR experiences that really um, show potential, not necessarily just here in New Zealand, but but examples that you're aware of? Yeah, obviously the first and one of the key experiences I personally had was uh, the National Geographic Antarctica uh, kayaking and ice climbing experience. National Geographic, obviously, it's a huge organization, and they're doing this since years um, in respect of virtual uh, reality. Also, we need to be obviously mindful that in the U.S., in North America, I mean, virtual reality is, is used so much. So, you know, National Geographic, those kinds of experiences where uh, where you paddle um, in Antarctica, where you actually grab a pedal. It's, it's kind of like it's called an extended reality experience. So you put the headset on, you have a couple of um, 
kind of hands on that they're blue, <laughs> blue hands in front of you. And you can actually grab a pedal. You can hold on to the pedal and then you actually pedal and you see yourself pedaling in the headset. Wow, cool. This is a computer-generated um, experience, so it's not a real world. Say that they're using software like Unity, where basically it, it's a high, high technology and a very costly development. But they also have the other one, which I came across then, was an elephant in Africa. There's actually this huge elephant walking towards you and over you, you know, and it's mm. it's just. You don't feel threatened, but it, it, it looks so real. And this is a real-time experience, wow. so uh, filmed in a real environment. And that's what I've been focusing on the last 12 months. So, yeah. Wow. And do you think, like, with, with that sort of experience, you know, these are those kinds of experiences are, are giving people an opportunity to engage with environments or with species that perhaps it would be have a negative impact if you were to travel there in person to see those things, right? Yeah, definitely. Also, it's about learning. And and um, well, I'm, I heard, listened to somebody the other day. He said, if I show you a picture, you can see. If I tell you something, you can hear. But if you experience it, you can understand. Mm. So they have used that for environmental um, education as well. So if if you if you go to a place, I mean, in a traditional way, if I would go to Africa and I see these elephants and I would say, wow, you know, I, I learned so much. And, and But we can actually replicate those kinds of experiences with virtual reality and without the impact, obviously, um, those travel um, has. I mean, I'm not saying that people will not go to Africa, but maybe I'll go one day, you know, maybe, maybe. It can be also used for me to educate myself. What do I want to do? What, where do I want to go? So, but it's, it's obviously, it's, it's very powerful. It's, it's, it's a, it's another level to see a video of an elephant mm -hmm. or to have a headset on and the elephant comes to you. It's another level. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so you talked as well, you said you could give us examples from other industries, because I think there's other industries using VR for training or different, um, different uses as well, right? So one sample is the, um, the Walmart um, supermarket chain in the US. They, they bought 17,000 headsets to actually train their workforce. And they have a workforce about one and a half million. And they trained about one million people on the on with a headset on specific procedures, like when they have these mad uh, shopping days when when people are running in. So, um, another good sample is actually for understanding the environmental impact um, on on CO two. Like there's research done again by Jeremy uh, Balens and Stanford University and. What they've done is they filmed the impact of um, uh, CO2 uh, going into the oceans because if CO2 is actually absorbed by the oceans and in that process there is actually an acid formed, so the ocean, the water gets quite acidy. And for that reason, the, uh, all the, you know, the, 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 the wildlife, the, the, the fish and, and the, the corals and so on, they actually die. That, that's one of the reasons that, um, you know, those, those creatures die. 
And they have actually filmed um, in a part of Italy where there's a natural occurrence of CO2 coming out of one of these extinct volcanoes, you know, un underneath the surface in the ocean. So in that part of the of, of of that bay, there's actually hardly any wildlife left because of that natural occurrence of CO2 comes out, converts into acid, and then they filmed another part um, of the bay where this does not happen, and they showcase that to the viewer through the headset, and that made quite a distinctive difference in the perception of the viewer how how devastating um, CO2 is because it's underwater. Obviously, we can't usually can't see it, you know? And so it's it's a really important and a very powerful tool, again, to tell the story, to tell the story of the environmental um, damage which is done throughout the world. And it's it's enhancing stories that we could tell in other ways, but it's also telling stories like, like that CO2 example where we wouldn't be able to tell that story in any other way, right? Yeah, and again, it comes back to, um, you know, it's that experience, and, and it all comes back to the brain, really, if you think about it. The, the brain, how we perceive it. You can look at the picture and say, oh, well, the, the, you know, the corals are dead, you know, sorry about that. But it's with everything, you know. If you, if you feel you're there or if you're actually there, the impact is far, um, far, far more powerful. And that's immersive technology, virtual reality, extended reality, um, um, will help or can help. And, and as I mentioned before, this is just the beginning of that development and there's much more to come. That's really exciting, isn't it? And I think it's important for us at this time in tourism and with um, the climate impact to see exciting, hopeful opportunities. You know, I think businesses need to recognize where we are in terms of being adaptive and resilient to the future and look at these hopeful opportunities and think about shifts they can make. And it sounds like that's what you're doing, Michael. Yes, but um, I think my my main goal in a way too is actually to encourage conversation between all these um, um, parts of society and business. I think we have a unique opportunity in New Zealand. We have these amazing scientists in Auckland, in Wellington, Christchurch, Dunedin, and you know, attending that conference the other day, the other week, you know, I just showcased. We have it all here. We have the storytellers here. We have the tourism operators. They have fantastic stories. We have the cultural part. And I believe there's, there's, there's quite a bit happening in respect of uh, storytelling with, uh, with the Mary, uh, history as well. So there, there's a lot, a uh, lot of possibilities. And I think what I'm hearing is that we all need to come together and, and, and act, you know, in urgency in a way, but obviously in, a, in an organized manner as well. But we need to embrace this, um, these opportunities uh, we're having um, yeah. as soon as possible um, because uh, as a long-haul destination, um, New, Zealand, New Zealand should be world-leading in, in those kinds of new technologies uh, with, in, in combination with, tur with, with tourism. We should be world-leading here. Yeah, because of our location in the world, right? Yeah, because our location, we have a unique story. If you think about it, you know, we have uh, the New Zealand story is is 
is, I mean, if I go to Germany, let's say, I mean, everybody, oh, New Zealand, you know, it's, it's, it's a dream <laughs> for most people. <laughs> and most mm. people cannot go here. You know, we have about 100,000 Germans coming to, or before COVID, came to New Zealand. I mean, there are 80 million of them. So it's a tiny proportion of the, it's the same in the US, isn't it, Debbie? I mean, that's right. It's a, yeah. tiny, it's a tiny proportion. And it's actually, I think we can provide the opportunity for more people to come to New Zealand virtually mm-hmm. with that technology. And it makes total sense to me for business reasons, for environmental reasons, for social reasons. You know, there's, there's, there's so much in, in, in it for, for our place in the middle, you know, so far away from all our uh, main tourism markets. So where can our listeners learn more about you, Michael? And uh, how do they get in touch? What's what's next? Do you want to bring people together by the sounds of it? Yeah, I'm constantly reaching out and I'm constantly talking to people. I'm constantly learning um, about um, uh, new experiences. And I mean, for some operators, they maybe is an opportunity for them to 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 do virtual reality. For other operators, is is an online experience. I've been working with with a farm experience lately or you know it's it's it really depends on the circumstances but just get in touch um and start the conversation and then then we go from there really but i think it needs to be a a really broad um communication between you know uh, operators rtos uh, um, uh, scientists uh, you know we all need to come together with this um it's it's obviously um, a long term project, but you know we have to start somewhere, and um, I'm more than happy to 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 keep pushing and to um, to make people aware in the tourism industry. Thank you so much, Michael. This has been amazing, very enlightening. I've learned a lot actually just from this uh, conversation. And is there anything that we haven't spoken about that you wanted to touch on? What what is dear to my heart in a way is that um, there will be um, lots of challenges in respect of um, the future and um, especially for the next generations. And and I really think we need to we need to think long term. Um, we need to think for the next fifty years. And I know it's it sounds a bit, you know. Um, out there when 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 try to visualize the concept of of virtual tourism but um we need to think long term and and i think that's long that's it's not going to happen overnight it's not going to happen over the next two or three years but we need to start the process and start learning um and that's what i'm passionate about it and that's that's dear to my heart anyway As you can probably hear in this episode, Debbie and I are big fans of Michael's and we had a lot of fun recording this um, this conversation. Um, I think what I love about talking to, to Michael is that he's not scared of pushing boundaries, like talking about the stuff that is sort of uncomfortable and, and you know, perhaps challenges the way that we we do business and all of that. But he also is very hopeful and he's he's always talking about potential and new opportunities and 
yeah, I just love, I love um, the energy that he brings in this conversation. So it was a real pleasure. Yeah, he's so passionate about this and about innovation and about thinking differently and finding new ways to to expand our thinking about tourism. Um, and his excitement and his passion is really contagious. So um, while I'll admit that I know, and it was probably evident through the interview, I know very little about uh, virtual reality. Uh, I'm ready to go out and buy a headset and and start learning. And I think that's a part that was really came through strongly for me was Michael's desire to keep learning and to keep exploring and to keep thinking about new ways for how we can do tourism and not necessarily even for now, but for the future, like the potential in virtual technology is going to be um, beyond what any of us can imagine. I think, um, you know, he, like he talks about this, imagine this example, you know, where you can actually smell and, you know, you're right there with someone where you can, you can taste and smell. And that seems pretty out there and pretty ridiculous from where I'm sitting in my limited knowledge of, of technology. But I think we have no idea of what is going to come down uh, in the future in terms of capabilities. And so I think his message about we need to start learning and be open to this now is is a really important point so that we can be better equipped for taking advantage of some of these possibilities. Yeah, I think it's interesting um, to be having this conversation on a podcast that's about regenerative tourism. And maybe some listeners might be confused about, you know, how this fits into to that model. Um but I think, like you say, what's really important about it is this exploring of of new ways of thinking, new ways of doing things, and and pushing the boundaries of of business as usual. And that's certainly what Michael and and others who are working in this virtual space are doing. Um, and we know that technology is going to play a role in the future of tourism, and we just don't know what that's going to look like yet. And so I think it's really interesting to explore this. And I think. You know, we talk a lot um, on Good Awaits about mindset, the the need for mindset shifts, and I think that uh, technology. Well, I think the conversation about technology can can help with that mindset shift and and thinking differently. But I also think that um, some of the examples Michael was giving was how we could use virtual tourism, virtual travel to assist with mindset shifts around bigger issues like the climate crisis um, mm. yeah. and, you know, allowing people to see things firsthand that they wouldn't be able to see in any other way. Um, I think there's a huge amount of power in that and um, that's something that's definitely worth worth exploring. Yeah, the example he gave, right, about the CO2 that was coming out um, – under under the ocean near Italy and that when you actually can see it and, and experience it through VR, what what that the devastation that causes, it has an impact on you. You know, there is a registration in your brain that that to to a degree that is similar to a real life experience. I think that was something that was surprising for me was hearing how our brain doesn't know the difference. Like our neocortex understands that we're not actually in the place, but our amygdala, our, our primitive brain doesn't know the difference. And so we can have these experiences that are so near to life that again, I think it's beyond what many of us can even imagine. <laughs> um, yeah. And so there is so much power in that Josie, as you said, <laughs> have I said that five times? No, no, it's great. I was just, <laughs> I was just laughing because I, 
<coughs> it's so over my head, this stuff. Like, I just don't understand <laughs> how you can be in one place in your brain, you know, in some way believes that you're somewhere completely different in some way that you couldn't even be, you know, <laughs> like it's, you know, you couldn't actually be in yeah, that part yeah. of the ocean and yet you, you know, you feel that you are. It's, um, right. yeah, it just blows my mind. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure we've got some listeners who completely understand this yeah. and, and are like, oh, you two need to get a clue. And <laughs> <laughs> some listeners who are equally as clueless as we are. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, well, he gave examples, right, of how different sectors or industries are using this for training. Um, I, you know, firefighters as well. So clearly it, it is simulating real life to some degree. And so, um, I think this is the shift we need to make in tourism is to have more of an open mindset towards some of these possibilities and to think about the potential. You know, he said, I think that some people are saying, Oh, it's not the same. And of, and of course it's not the same. And it's not designed to be, and I think that kind of misses the point, mm. right? Um, yep. It's not designed to replace tourism yeah. as we know it. It's it's what is the potential that this can offer us that we haven't even started to think about yet? Um, and that's the exciting thing. Yeah, and he, he talks about storytelling, right, and how tourism, to him, tourism, the root of what tourism is about is about storytelling and I, I love that as an answer to our question about what is tourism's purpose in a VUCA mm. world is, is tourism's purpose to tell stories uh, and to tell essential stories. And he talks about virtual tourism as mm. extending our opportunities for storytelling. It's another way that we can, that we can share stories. And I thought that was really interesting because like you say, it's not, it's not a replacement for, for, moving around you know physically going to another place but it is another way that we can experience things and be taken to different places and experience new um cultures and and viewpoints and etc so i i um i feel very excited by this this whole world yeah i think it's exciting too i mean the other piece is accessibility right that when you think about the you know accessibility in terms of easy access for people from different parts of the world to experience what we have on offer in New Zealand without actually coming to New Zealand. And he made various points about this, our location in the world, the cost, the um, carbon emissions. But there's also, I mean, I think he told a story about, um, maybe it was offline, about a woman who had mobility issues and who would never come to New Zealand. And so accessibility in so many different forms and, and layers, what this can offer and um, – yeah, because not everyone is going to get on a plane and come to us, or or other other parts of the world that are exploring this this type of technology. I think the other thing about this is um, this conversation from Michael really speaks to uh, the potential that exists in a cross disciplinary approach to tourism. Uh, I think we've said on this season before that we're we're trying to really think more in this season of Good Awaits about where does tourism intersect with other sectors and what's the potential that exists within those, um, those relationships. And I think that this conversation is really about the intersection between tourism and technology. And that is something somewhere where a lot of potential exists. And so I think that that's um, again, bringing it back to, you know, the fact that this podcast is about regenerative tourism um, regeneration is all about potential. And so finding that in these different intersection points is um, there's a lot of power in that. 
Yeah, there is a lot of power in that, Josie. I guess the other point as well is Michael's very clear that um, we need to change the way we're doing things. And so what he's trying to do, I believe, is become more adaptive and resilient to, uh, you know, a challenging future. Um, and, and just be, you know, like we've, we've said so many times, be open, think critically, be curious. I think of Michael as someone who's infinitely curious, um, and bringing that different mindset or that shifting mindset to what are the possibilities when we reach across silos and sectors and, and open our minds and, and see where that takes us. I mean, no one really knows what the future holds and no one really knows what exactly our regenerative tourism future should look like. Um, but we need to be asking a lot of questions and opening our minds. And he is such a great uh, model for that. So I find him really inspiring and uh, such a privilege to talk to him. Absolutely. And um, so we just want to we just want to thank Michael so very much for coming on the podcast. We really, really enjoyed speaking with him and um, enjoyed this conversation. And it certainly challenged us to think differently and um, definitely challenged my understanding of some of these things. So I'm very grateful for his patience and willingness to um, to take us on, on the journey with him. His website, virtualjourneys.co.nz, has so many virtual experiences that you can uh, participate in. So we encourage you to go and check it out and have a look and come to New Zealand from the comfort of your armchair, where on a virtual journey, the weather is always 100% guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, do go and check it out. His website is amazing and there's so many uh, great experiences on there. Michael is always keen to have conversations with anyone who's interested in this. So if any of our listeners in New Zealand or internationally are uh, open to talking about it or keen to talk more, we know that he would love to hear from you. His contact information will be in the show notes. Thank you so much to you all for listening to this episode of Good Awaits. If you'd like to keep up with us, please subscribe on your podcast app of choice. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, all of the all of the main podcast apps you can find us there and if you feel so inclined we would love to receive your feedback by leaving us a review on your app as well it really helps us out this podcast is hosted and produced by us debbie clark and josie major and audio production is by the wonderful clary macklin thanks so much again for listening to good awaits it's great to have you with us on this journey